0: Like, one little glass of wine really does it, though. It kind of, like, gets that, like, little... Welcome to another edition of horrifying my friends i'm horror host trav joining me as always is producer kate hey the theme queen herself <laughs> uh, uh back from surgery back from regeneration
1: yes my tonsil buddy is gone <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh joining us for her second uh a long time coming her second episode of the of the series jess shaw
2: hello i almost said jess hagan
0: <laughs> well it was her name <laughs> <so>. yeah <laughs> yeah so what's been going on ladies like i haven't talked to you guys in a, in a in a minute like i haven't really the listeners haven't really heard from the regular hmf crew uh mm-hmm. kate i know you've been working out i i know like i stopped by the other day and you were like hanging like michael keaton like michael <laughs> keaton batman like hanging upside down and shit
1: yeah, Trav likes to make fun of me and call me a meathead because I, like, worked out three <laughs> times this week. <laughs> like, I walked on my treadmill and did some crunches, and he's like, wow, you're just, like, a meathead now. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Brooks and I were
0: like, she's going to be, like, taking roids and shit, like, really beefing up. <laughs>
1: um, No, I won't be doing that. But, yeah, that, I mean, I've just been working a lot, and then, you know, take care of myself, watching some trashy reality TV. Pretty-ish. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, um, current uh, obsession, Married at First Sight.
0: Okay. So, so, Married at First Sight is not the dude with no neck, right? Is no, that 90 Day that's, Fiance? That's
1: 90 Day Fiance. I've never seen that.
0: I've got to watch that because that looks <laughs> so fucking amazing.
1: Yeah. So, Married at First Sight, they literally get married to someone who's been matched by quote-unquote experts mm-hmm. um, for them they marry and they stay married to for like two months and then they have to decide if they're going to get divorced or not after two months of living together. And yeah, they get married and go on a honeymoon and then they totally mesh their lives and try to, you know, see what it's like to be married. So, um, lots of drama, um, a few success stories. It's kind of uh, a good escape from reality.
0: Yeah, for sure. They should do that with, like, two prisoners or something. Like, that'd be cool. <laughs> that'd be, like, really cool. Jess, what have you been up to and what have you been watching?
2: I've been working. Mm-hmm. I've been working out, getting back into running. All right. Um, that's about it. Taking right. care of the kiddos. You got the vaccine live. and stuff, right? I'm fully all vaccinated. vaccinated.
0: Damn.
1: Yep. Yeah, all these healthcare workers, they get first dibs. Yeah, buddies of <laughs> mine are starting to
0: get the first shot and stuff. So uh, Jess, I don't know if we did this in the last episode, and Kate, we can cut this if we did. But what did we get Jess's intro to horror, like uh, her history of horror and stuff?
1: It's been so long. um, I don't see any reason why we can't make her say it again.
0: Yeah, so I kind (laughs) of wanted to ask you, uh, like, interview Jessica Shaw for a little bit, like just like a minute or two, like just talking about like your history of horror and like like uh, the history, or you can go like thriller or whatever. I know you're a big thriller gal.
1: Yeah, what are some of the horror movies that like you remember loving
2: when we were young? Mm-hmm. So, and I've heard you talk about this on here. Um, Mom introduced us to horror at a very young age. Yeah. yeah, she scarred us. She scarred us for life.
0: Yeah, your mom's an OG.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, Which one did Salem's she scarred? Salem's Lot. Yeah, that yeah. one got me. We all know. I think we were all scarred by
1: that. <laughs> well, you all went to bed, and I, like was like mom I want to watch and she's like go to bed and I was like no and she's like fine watch it and then <laughs> and then I was scared you know and I couldn't sleep by windows we have yeah. uh, listen to any old episode that has vampires on it of the podcast and you'll hear me talk about that
0: story That that movie like tv series I think it's like a two-parter or whatever event back in the day like that part of that movie like scarred so many people like just that part
2: what the tapping on the window yeah, the yeah. little kid f- yeah. flying up and hovering and tapping on the window oh, yeah. yeah creepy i like still have nightmares oh
0: mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> So is that kind of like your earliest memory of the genre?
2: Yeah, that and like Lost Boys. Mm -hmm. Mom loved that. Yeah, it's awesome movies. (laughs) It's an awesome movie. Yeah, but the vampires were really creepy. And and but now when I watch it as an adult, I'm like, oh, that's kind of funny. Like there's like little (laughs) funny parts in it.
1: Oh yeah. Um, Another one she introduced us to was Pit in the Pendulum, and I don't know if that's considered horror or not. Have you seen that? I would. Yes. Yeah. The Pit in the Pendulum is one that she would play. lot and so i have specific scenes of that burned in my memory i don't remember
0: that isn't that like a maybe
1: we'll horrify the host with that one day
0: but wasn't that a story where the this there's just something like hanging over the guy and it gets closer and closer isn't yeah a pendulum it swings back and forth yeah Yeah.
1: um but yeah there's that's actually a pretty good movie oh yeah Mm -hmm. um that would be good good to horrify you with because i i take it you haven't seen or you don't remember well there's
0: so many versions of that too yeah the original
1: black and white oldie is the one that i've seen
0: so yeah we're discussing a movie to do with you ever since you squashed it follows (laughs) and was like this movie isn't scary at all we're like what the fuck (laughs) like kitty and i were watching it along with you and we're just like horrified and shit Um, yeah
1: i was scared the second time seeing it and jess is like (laughs) nah.
0: She's like, it's a hit and it follows. We get it. Uh, So, Session 9, 2001, directed by Brad Anderson, who also directed Trans-Siberian and The Machinist. Have you ever seen The Machinist with Christian Mm Bale? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, where he was like 80 pounds or some shit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Starring Peter Mulan as Gordon Fleming, David Caruso as Phil Steven uh, Gavidin.
1: Wow! (laughs) We do that because he was on CSI Miami Mm -hmm. and that music was... What does Rose do? I'll never get food again. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, Josh Lucas as Hank and Brandon Sexton as Josh Durian Hughes. Uh, synopsis: Tensions rise within an asbestos cleaning crew as they work in an abandoned mental hospital with a horrific past that seems to be coming back. Um, so my connection with <laughs> that this, was your slasher voice. Yeah, it was my slasher. Well, it's kind of a slasher at the uh, towards the end. Yeah, mm-hmm. spoilers. <laughs> Um, so I first watched this movie with my brother The Other Half of Brothers Grimm Brutal Brutal Donnie sometime in the early to mid 2000s like when the, around the time when this came out What was immediately memorable to me were like the creepy ass fucking voices but I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit later one of the reasons I love this movie is because I got a fascination for these, like, old asylums and shit. Mm-hmm. But it, have you guys ever been in one of those? Hell no. Mm-mm. You get, you never got to do a tour or nothing? So, this is, like, a little quick story time. So, <laughs> when I was at Marion, we used to break into Central State. And I know, <laughs> so, the, uh, what is it called? Is the Statute like the, of Limitations yeah, statute up of limitations. on that? Yeah, come on. <clears throat> so, one time we, so we broke in, like, three times. So, one time, we were down in the tunnels. We were trying to find the morgue. And Indianapolis has, like, a series of tunnels underneath. So, we were down in the tunnels, like, walking around. And it's, like, pitch black. And we run into two guys with, like, a bike. And one of them's named Taco. (laughs) And all they have is a pin light. What the (laughs) fuck? (laughs) Yeah. They were just walking around down there. So, another time. So, we got in. we, We saw, like, heavy cop rotation that nice we were like we need to get out so this cop is like pulling out as we're running across the field to like exit Uh (laughs) like just imagine like a bunch of antelopes running across the field (laughs) but we all it was like out of a cartoon because the cop pulled up to this big tree like with his lights (laughs) and shit and stepped out and we were all piled on the top of each other (laughs) behind the tree yeah so we probably scared the fuck out of him because he was probably uh-huh. like, "What did I just see? Did I just see fucking ghosts or whatever?" So yeah, my fascination with these old asylums. So before we get really into the notes and stuff, I want to talk about because I know that we didn't do this last episode. I want to talk about ghosties a little bit. Okay. So in this movie, there's a big time ghost kind of thing and shit. So ghosts, is I, it a ghost? Well, is it? We'll get into it. <laughs> Um, Jess, I want to, I want you to tell that story, uh, however you guys want to tell it of you, like the bee story, because the family always tells that of you. Mm-hmm. Or you guys think that Jess is kind of like a sensitive, like, she's... yeah,
1: Jess is sensitive to super uh, paranormal kind of stuff. I would say I've never had any experiences myself, but I know Jess and Rose both have, especially Jess. Um, I can tell the bee story. And then maybe you can tell your story about the dorms. So Jess is like four or five years old and um, it's nighttime. We have we're in bed like I'm asleep, but she's in her room and my mom hears her talking to someone, not me. I was in probably my own room at this point.
2: She had already gotten the phone call from No, she
1: hadn't yet. So really? yeah, she hadn't yet. Yeah, this I think this is how she tells it. So Jess was talking to someone and Jess heard her talking, "Maybe you're right." But anyway, heard her talking to someone and she's like mom realizes she's saying like "B." That's what we call my great-grand my great-grandpa at the t- at the time. Um, she was like, "Hi B. How are you?" You know, like mm-hmm. a little kid just talking to her grandpa mm-hmm. and then come to find my like he had passed away just like earlier in the evening and mom had gotten the call and she you know and she was just like totally freaked out that jess was like maybe talking to his spirit or something because it's not Mm -hmm. something she would just do every day it's just like talk to imaginary people that's not a thing she did Mm -hmm. so we think that
2: b came by and visited her and after he died Mm -hmm. which
0: is really really widely reported like a lot of times yeah
2: yeah, and mom mom said that she heard me say, "Okay, bye, B." Like it, it was uh-huh. it was almost like he was saying goodbye. Now, like when I woke up, I didn't recall any of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. But then you know, the next day they're telling us like B passed away last night, and mm-hmm. you know, mom was really freaked out mm-hmm. about he- hearing me talk to him. <laughs>
1: yeah, I guess it would be like kind of freak you out, but also kind of nice. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm oh yeah if it's like if it if that kind of thing really does happen where like you're when your soul leaves your body a ghost and you could you know say your goodbyes to the little ones who can still hear mm-hmm. you and talk mm-hmm. to you like, it's kind of cool but mm-hmm. um yeah so jess
2: has had a lot of little ghosty experiences tell us about the dorms at mm. marion at marion yeah i was going to sleep one night and i remember it was on the weekend and it's fairly quiet on the weekends like people went oh, yeah. away on the weekends so <laughs> it wasn't very loud And it was, like, maybe my third year there, second or third year. Um, So it was fairly quiet. I was going to bed. I was working the next day at the hospital. And I'm, like, in that state of just getting ready to fall asleep. And then I hear,
3: wake up. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And
2: I just, my eyes shot open. I turned on the lights real quick, and no one's in there. And it freaked me out. I remember telling Mom, like, okay, I think there may be a ghost in my room. I don't, like, I don't know what to do. And she said, you know what? You just need to say, you know, you need to go away right now. You need to go away and stop bugging me. Don't ask it what it wants because it'll come back.
0: Was this in Claire Hall? Yeah. Okay, Claire Hall, yeah, Claire had some definite creepiness going on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Claire's like an old building too. Marion's like an old university and shit, or college, I should say. All right, so, yeah, I had to get that out of the way, for, mm-hmm. for sure, because this is a paranormal-type movie.
2: I want to ask you why you picked this movie for me.
0: Because uh, I thought I would scare you, but I don't think so, probably. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, watching it, uh, watching it, I was just like, uh, something feels familiar about this movie. I didn't remember the story, so I know I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, something felt familiar about it. I don't know about you,
2: Jess, if it was predictable or not. I love movies that have the asylums, like you were saying. There's mm-hmm. just a really, like... I gravitate towards the medical part of Mm -hmm. how asylums were run the therapies that they did come to find out they weren't really ethical Mm -hmm. like just that it draws me into the story I think I don't know if it's because I'm medical or it's because like the tragedies too that took place Mm -hmm. I don't know it's weird.
0: So uh, the notes start with only three rooms had additions outside of the natural setting uh, for the atmosphere of the film. Uh, the kitchen had meat hooks hung and stuff. The tunnel had plastic surgical gloves hung up and stuff, which was actually like really really creepy. Seeing uh, what was the what was the little kid's name, or what was the eighteen year old's name or whatever with the mullet. Oh, Jeff. Yeah, seeing Jeff go through that tunnel. Um, and the hydrotherapy room had a metal tub added. Everything else was like in the site as it was, you know, back when they shut it down. And I know, like, this is true, uh, like, the times that we went into Central State, it was, like, the federal government shut it down and everybody just left. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, calendars were still on wall. It was, like, really, really eerie, like, almost like a Silent Hill game, if anybody's ever played those. But it's, like, like calendars were still on walls that said, like, 94 or something whenever they left. There were patient files in there, like all kinds of stuff was still in there so it was filmed at the legendary danvers state lunatic asylum yes it was actually called that at one point wow a a place which is rumored to be the birthplace of the prefrontal lobotomy technique now i don't know if that that's not confirmed but it's rumored you know Mm -hmm. they were probably testing it you know on people there they didn't give a fuck back in the day oh back in the day (laughs) they were like
1: oh there's something wrong with you
0: Put a plate in his it, head. It
1: could be as simple as you disagree with your husband. Let's shove a little <laughs> rod in your... Let's put home. a nail in his head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Danvers State Hospital was built in 1874 on a, tw- a 257-foot glacial drumlin named Hawthorne Hill. Or Hathorne Hathorn Hill. I think it's Hathorne. The hill got its name from the original owner, Judge John Hathorne. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, John Hathorne was appointed by Governor Sir William Phipps to be judge in the Salem Witch Trials. Mm-hmm. Judge John Hathorne was also the great-grandfather of American novelist Nathaniel Haw- Hawthorne. Note the spelling variation of the last name in the early 20s. Nathan- this is all like IMDb, you know, uh, kind of trivia mm-hmm. and stuff. Um so Nathaniel was added the W to hide his relation to the only judge involved in the Salem witch trials that didn't repent, yeah, the, the Hawthorne, as seen in the masterpiece uh, *Lords of Salem*. <laughs> on What's the swivel? filming,
2: <laughs>
0: on the filming location, starred David Crusoe, and this kind of like reinforces like some of the stuff that I added earlier. Uh, it was a play. David Crusoe is very wordy. He had a lot of opinions. He still does, <laughs> you know, solving crimes and shit. It was a place that you never got comfortable in. It was it wasn't like a three a, a day three and we were throwing water balloons because it was so much fun to be there. It was always scary. You can really feel the pain of the people that went through Danvers. It's a rough environment and it's not fun. And that's in the film. Actor David Caruso, because of course he does, reports in the official production notes that he saw something pass his window when he was filming inside there. Uh, he says he goes on. I didn't want to tell anybody because people would sort of start looking at me strangely. Actor Peter Mulan also reported strange happenings on the set. He claims that while filming on the roof, a voice in his head told him to jump off just to see what would happen.
1: Sounds like marketing to me, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, probably. Oh,
0: for sure. The fictional uh, Patricia Willard scandal at Danvers State Hospital, which which is actually a part in the movie that I didn't remember.
1: You want me to tell the story of her? according to the film yeah go ahead. Uh, so in the film um the character named mike um has a weird knowledge of the history of this place because his dad was um the attorney general or something involved in helping shut it down or whatever but patricia willard was supposedly a patient from the 70s at danvers that uh, was like admitted for like manic depression um as they say quote-unquote typical teenage stuff (laughs) That's not a teenage <laughs> stuff. But anyway, basically, long story short, they were doing these therapies and they insisted that she had repressed memories that they mm-hmm. needed to, you know, draw out of her through these different therapies. And through those therapies, she claimed that she was recalling memories of her mom and dad taking her to satanic cult rituals and um, her witnessing a, like the murdering of babies and her being like repeatedly basically gang raped by all these satanic worshipers according to mike's story ended up all being untrue mm-hmm. they were able to like this all went to the courts of course and they were able to disprove all of these fake she memories. had an
2: exam that proved that she was not raped apparently yeah they, she had an exam
1: <laughs> a medical mm-hmm. exam that supposedly revealed that she was still a virgin um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of controversy around that. I won't even get into how that's like not a real thing. But anyway, <laughs> well, we can
0: bust that right now. Like the hi- the whole like uh is it the hymen? I don't know. Female? Yeah. So the hymen the, things. Emit, the hymen right?
1: breaking is a myth. It's yeah. not. That's not a thing that happens. Like the hymen only ex- exists on women, young girls, babies, basically babies, because to stop like poop and other things when they. Defecating in their diapers from getting up in their vagina right Mm -hmm. it's like just a little membrane and then it's a stretchy membrane and as you age it it kind of like goes away if you will like it's still kind of there but it's not a thing that breaks and then never goes back it's like a membrane that can stretch and it can be tear yes Mm -hmm. and can tear and bleed and stuff but it's not this thing that you a doctor can check and say like definitively she's a virgin or not it doesn't quite work like that you can see abuse on in a medical exam and I think they did not see abuse evidence of abuse and I think that's why according to this made-up story yeah but
2: I think there is proof that some of the therapies they used to do like that oh no yeah they definitely did therapies like that you know it did bring up false memories Oh yeah. Well, yeah, they can uh, implant memory. They can yeah. lead
1: them when they're in this like suge- highly suggestive state. Like therapists with an agenda can, or even on not knowing their bias like that, maybe they want them to have something worse than they do, and they can lead them in down the road of memories by saying like, "Oh well, did they take you somewhere? Did they take you to the woods? Did mm-hmm. they do you know?" And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, there's a memory implanted there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but yeah, so what's the what's the truth on this story? So
0: the Fictional Patricia Willard scandal at Danvers State Hospital, uh, cited by Mike, Kate just detailed, strongly appears to have been inspired by the real life wave of problematic, you know, sex abuse allegations that swept the United States uh, in the 70s and 80s in a lot of these places, um, including, among others, one involving the amir family i think is how you say it in nearby maiden massachusetts reporter dorothy rabinowitz won the a pulitzer prize for her book chronicling <laughs> jesus <laughs> for her book chronicling the that bizarre case the book is called no crueler T- tyrannies accusation false witness and other terror of our time so go check that out if you want to read some more depressing shit yeah (laughs) but anyway so jess what are your first thoughts on session nine
2: i enjoyed watching it okay it didn't scare me but it sucked me into the story and Mm -hmm. i knew like okay what's gonna happen what's really going on here Mm -hmm. it did it sucked me into the story there were some parts that made you like jump oh yeah but it was suspenseful and i I like that kind of horror
0: Kate, what's your first reaction
2: I thought it was a good little movie. It's not going to be on my
1: favorites list and I probably won't watch it again, but I was entertained. I knew exactly what was going on as soon as he looked at that chair and a, and a demonic voice said, hello, Gordon, or whatever it said. Hello, Gordon.
3: Hello, Gordon.
1: <laughs> like at that point, you're like, okay, demons after Gordon. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, And it turns out that is what happened. But the whole, mo- the whole time I was like, is it going to be the demon or is it going to be his own psychosis like what's gonna really be going on here because he's like he's has a new baby he's sleep deprived he's you know depressed and like stressed out and anxious about keeping the business afloat and having a livelihood so I was like well maybe he's just gonna snap good watch if you've not seen it
0: so about the story and stuff what did you find because I I think this takes a lot well this obviously takes a lot of a lot of its story and stuff, I think, comes from like the classic haunted house and stuff of The Shining. Like a yes. lot of even the cue cards, like the Tuesday uh-huh. and Wednesday, taken directly from The Shining. So I will give this film credit. Like during the time in two thousand one, it was all about like torture porn, and you know, like I think this was the time when Saul was out. I believe. Don't yeah, take we consider card that, on that. that
1: torture porn too. <laughs> yeah, like
0: th- th- it was. It was very much in that vein of like, like over lots of gore mm-hmm. and you know. everything was brutal like cabin fever like all this other stuff and this is very like um there there are some fucked up scenes in this for sure but it it is very like subtle and stuff as well
1: yeah there is not a lot of gore that you see honestly Mm -hmm. um it's a lot of implied stuff Mm -hmm. so it's all like in your imagination what he did
0: so what are your guys' thoughts on and either one of you can go first like what are your guys' thoughts on the characters and stuff Because I know Kate was having a lot to say about the characters.
2: I bet Jess does too. I I wrote down everything about the characters (laughs) as I was watching it. So I'll give you a rundown. Bill is Mm -hmm. the property owner so first let me say i recognized everybody's faces in this movie but i couldn't remember anybody's name Uh so i'm like oh that's the guy from sweet home alabama and that's the guy (laughs) from what cis (laughs) yeah like i recognized everybody so that was nice to see their faces but anyway bill is the property owner with um, a terrible Massachusetts accent, uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm thinking, why does he want to renovate this place? Like, why? What's going on? Like, and they never answered that. Did they? Uh, if they
1: did, I missed it.
2: Uh, yeah. But
1: like, all you're meant to really get, get is that like, he's taking ownership and he's taking bids because um, they can't start construction. Like, the contractors can't come in and start like renovating until
2: they get rid of all the asbestos. So, right. anybody who's ever had that in their house, they know what that's about. Right. So Bill's just trying to get it done cheap. Phil, he is friends with the owner of the company or like yeah, Gordon. The, yeah. Um, he's more realistic. He tries to, you know, give Gordon good advice. Well, Gordon, Gordon, mm-hmm. um, he's the owner of the asbestos company he's really pushing for the job like to get done within two weeks first he gives like a two week like we can get this done in two weeks and then it's one and then you find out he really really just needs the job and basically mm-hmm. begs for the job he's irish or scottish I Katie corrected me earlier. yeah i think he's Sc- <laughs> i think he's scottish
1: yeah he's scottish he has a new baby at home yeah. he's he's like up there in age like he and his wife you find out have struggled quite a bit to have children and then they finally were able to and he's just really fucking tired and you know i have a two-year-old now and i am not far away from having a newborn and i know how exhausting that can be i have a lot to say about that later on um in themes but um yeah he's desperate for money he is the sole breadwinner in the family he runs the company so it's not like he can take leave you know or take a vacation like no money's mm-hmm. coming in if they're not working mm-hmm. so he's desperate for this job it, they he hasn't been having much luck lately
2: and um yeah he's like highly stressed very rundown the mm-hmm. film open up opens up immediately to phil and gordon talking in the van about like real life shit and you're like mm-hmm. whoa what's going on here like you can really tell gordon's struggling and phil's trying to be there as a friend mm-hmm. um no, and for but right. you almost immediately are like what's going on with his wife Mm -hmm. there's something going on with his wife and it's weird what's going on with his wife um did they lose a baby like it makes you wonder you don't know exactly what's going on hank he is dating phil's ex just to rub it in his face (laughs) he is like the best character in the film yes (laughs) he's a smart ass he just wants to get under everyone's skin
0: he's a douchebag
2: yeah jeff is gordon's nephew he's Young doesn't know what he's doing, <laughs> um, but very sweet kid it seems like. He just wants to be there to work. Mm-hmm. Mike, um, he's smart. He hasn't finished law school. He knows the history of the place. His dad was either a lawyer or something in law. You know, you yeah. you get the sense that he's you know very smart. He's trying to teach Jeff. Well, Um, here's the thing about Mike is Mike is a
1: lazy motherfucker. He thinks he's above this work. (laughs) And he literally all day long. He gets hooked. Sneaking away and reading patient files and listening to patient tapes um, instead of doing the work, which they have twice the amount of work
2: to do in a week's time. Kate was so hooked
0: up on that. Oh, I I was too.
2: I was (laughs) too. I'm like, you guys have a one week deadline. What do you do when eating lunch? Like get back to work.
0: It's like, well, it's time for lunch. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, uh, well, I I understand like
1: the movie wouldn't be interesting if all you saw was them working, um, and that like it makes sense that they edited them during like close to or during lunch times. I get that, but when you're gonna show them working, why mm-hmm. are half of the people standing around doing nothing? Why is there only two out of the five guys working? You know what I mean? It's just yeah. really frustrating because <laughs> it's just like it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Oh, and Brian pointed out, and Trav, you probably have a fun fact for this, but Brian watched it with me, and he pointed out, like, why are all the rooms, why are they still in this one room? They've been working on this one room all week.
0: Yeah, so they filmed, and, like, they couldn't film in certain parts of the the asylum, because certain parts had, like, it was literally overrun with asbestos like you know to toxic levels or like the ceilings were yeah it was like, unstable and... or yeah you, you could fall through the damn floor you know yeah so yeah a lot of these rooms are repeated throughout the movie like you know being filmed in there and stuff
2: mm-hmm. and i'm not an expert on asbestos yeah I'm but not. i have a feeling that they would wear their masks all the time. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, they were almost none of the so, time. So <laughs> when I noticed that they weren't wearing them like any of the time, I was like, hmm, it really annoyed me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, I would
0: think, no, that, and that is a great point and, and one that I didn't really think about. Like, too much. Those guys would be for sure serious, like about that shit, mm-hmm. for sure. Like, they would get all, like, they'd probably all get fired if somebody came and, like, saw them doing that without a mask.
1: Yeah. I'm um, Hank, there's a scene where he t- is telling Jeff, trying to scare Jeff, the new guy, talking about how, like, once you get one little speck of this dust, this death dust in your lungs, like, you're, it's going to take you out, and by the end of it, you're going to be drowning in your own mm-hmm.
2: fluids, you know, uh, which is probably true, but anyway. He also told him that the radio sound waves would knock stuff loose Yeah, <laughs> because he didn't want him to play that music. Right, but,
1: like, <laughs> it's it's all it was all to, like basically convince him like oh you should just to scare him really it mm-hmm. was like a thrill but um he does jeff does put his mask on after that yeah <laughs> and so they try to like i think the writers probably knew it would annoy viewers to see them not actually wearing protective gear the whole time but and Jeff they is kind of like the film's idiot, yeah. too. Like,
0: he, he fucks up several times. Like, he's <laughs> fucking up the floor, and Mike's yelling at him, and he's just like, fuck you, dude.
1: Yeah, well, he's green, <laughs> and he doesn't know anything. So, we'll get into my opinions on Jeff and why I think he was in this story at all. But mm-hmm. I'm curious, Jess, now that we've you've run down kind of, like, who the characters were, this is, like, a pretty good ensemble. Like, to me, I think some most of them were over-actors. But I think the main guy, Gordon, was excellent. But anyway. Did just, you say overactors? Yeah. I think Hank. And, Caruso had one
0: moment that was. Yeah.
1: Caruso had, like, <laughs> he played Phil. He had a couple moments of overacting. Hank, 100%, had some overacting. But. Fuck I think, you. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, there were a few moments like that. Um, I think part of it was his character was meant to be over the top, but. Um, And then Jeff, oh, yeah, way overacted in a lot of stuff. Jeff, yeah. Of, like, the I'm a dumb kid thing. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, just, I get it. I get it. (laughs) But anyway, I'm curious, Jess, like, of all the characters, like, which ones, like, what did you think about them and their performance?
2: Um, I don't know any of their real names. You don't have to. Okay. (laughs) Gordon. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. Like, his acting was great. Which character did Mm -hmm. you like the best? Which one were you like, oh, I'm sad he's dead.
0: We know it was Hank for Kate.
2: None. None? I guess <laughs> I guess I liked Hank because he just like was that guy who just wanted to get under everyone's skin well I'm not surprised because your husband Zach loves to get under
0: people's (laughs) skin Zach is not like (laughs) Hank not
2: like Hank I was not saying no but Zach
1: like Hank no not like Hank at all but Zach does like to get under people's skin sometimes he likes
2: to like he likes to poke the bear yeah he does
0: (laughs) and I will say like that was one of the things that I loved about these characters like in this setting because like I work with like all guys pretty much too like in an operational setting much mm-hmm. like they do and it is like it's constant ball busting and like it, if people don't think that that's realistic like it 100 is mm-hmm. like people are like dudes are ruthless mm-hmm. like going after <laughs> each other like that yeah
1: i think that's honestly one of the big themes in this uh, yeah. you sent me an article i forget who was by so if you have it up oh i have it Travis sent me an article called How Session 9 Explores the Horrors of Toxic Masculinity. Mm. (laughs) Um, It's on the website called Little White Lies. It was written by Thomas Hobbes. But anyway, um, you can go check that out um, to get a more detailed kind of breakdown of this author's, this writer's opinion on how toxic masculinity is portrayed in this film. And I think when you watch this film in today's, like, because this was came out in 2001 mm-hmm. right so this is literally 10 years later um wait no 20 years yeah. Yeah, oh my 20. god <laughs> oh my god we just aged we're, katie we're so old we just aged katie. oh my god we're so old <laughs> anyway 20 years later and all of the like like you said ball busting that they do
3: mm-hmm.
1: i kind of expected that it was an ensemble of you know w- white dudes you know white mm-hmm. straight dudes i expected a lot of the you know sort of ribbing that they do with the young guy jeff
3: oh yeah um
1: and the the back and forth that phil like how can you not have the back and forth between phil and hank when hank is like oh, literally yeah. still hit this guy's girlfriend mm-hmm. and still works with him it's very toxic you know work environment period um add that in that there's male egos involved mm-hmm. um and then gordon i think to me i was so like disappointed to see i guess not disappointed but it just reminded me of what I see every in everyday life, right? Gordon has a new baby at home and that is really, really taxing on a person. What you're not seeing from his friends and coworkers, like these are his friends. He works with them day in and day out, you know, and what you're not seeing from them is compassion. Mm-hmm. at any point they say behind his back oh well, he's you know he's really tired you know they've got the new baby it's rough they the baby you find out is sick all the time has clinical e- ear aches all the time um, so it could be ear infections could be colic you know any number of things that make a kid scream and cry non-stop what you don't see is compassion and that's something in society that we don't like in America, we don't have a lot of compassion for new parents, women or men. You can see it in the policies that our country has, you know, about maternity and paternity leave, parental leave. Dads in particular aren't guaranteed anything in most companies. Yeah, only 9% of work sites in the U.S. offer paid paternity leave to male employees, and 76% of fathers are back to work within one week after their child's born or they adopt a child. So, like, that's good criminal in other countries. Like, Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. Um, and so as a society and our policies reflect that, we just don't have compassion for parents who are like, you know, you're it's your problem. Don't bring it to work. Don't be a human being because we're not going to treat you like one. You're not allowed to have feelings. They praise Gordon for being this strong, silent, forever calmed, never shows an emotion kind of guy. And as soon as he starts to show any kind of struggle they're like whoa what is up with him like let's gossip behind his back and try to overthrow the company you know like it's it's messed up
0: and i think that's a and and all these are like on purpose themes like Mm -hmm. in the film but i think gordon like i saw a lot of um people writing on twitter and stuff like gordon is the like poster boy for like don't hold everything inside like, where you were going, like, we tell men, like, boys don't cry, as the cure said in, you know, <laughs> 1980s. But it's, like, you're yeah. not supposed to cry. You're not supposed to talk about your feelings. You're supposed to just bottle it up inside and flush it down with a bottle of booze. You know, it's, right. like, that's the old school way of dealing with shit. And it's, like, you could blow up also. Like,
1: And what was also, like, just kind of sad to see is Jeff is this young guy. He's mm-hmm. not totally corrupted yet. He probably has got a little bit, you know, just because that happens um but a little he's, bit of what it just like just, <laughs> just tox, toxic masculinity <laughs> right. that's what we're talking about like he's probably got picked up toxic oh, things for sure. as he's grown up but this yeah. is like his first job yeah. he's on the site with his uncle who he looks up to yeah and he's got these other guys that he thinks are like kind of cool mm-hmm. um and is impressed by their stories and some of the things that, like that they're saying and almost at every turn in any scene with jeff Jeff is, like, kind of showing his innocence, showing his green, you know, side, and they're just beating it out of him by, like, making fun of him, making him feel insecure about things. Like, he he reveals that he's afraid of the dark, and they just, like, make fun of him for it. Mike Mike didn't
2: at first
1: right i mean mike was off fucking around not doing his job so like he wasn't around anyway
0: and mike fucked with him in like the worst way really like um uh playing like he was gonna shove that thing in his eye right like dark
1: but yeah that was a little dark (laughs) but yeah it's like and then he's outside and he's just like goofing around and they just are like you idiot or and he's and while he's working like he's brand new he's never used any of this equipment before he doesn't know what like the safety stuff he doesn't know anything and instead of just teaching him and being mentors to him they're constantly berating him and like telling him how stupid he is Mm -hmm. like i don't know if that happens with all guys but
0: oh it does that doesn't happen that
1: that didn't happen like no one was when i was growing up telling me like you're a fucking idiot because you don't know how to do something you've never done before like and if that happens with guys a lot like no wonder y'all are kind of messed
2: up Well, see, in in Gordon's case, I when I was watching it, I was like, I couldn't tell when he had murdered his wife and mm-hmm. baby. So I kind of took it as this already happened and he was already trying to deal with it before the job started. That's kind of how I took it. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of declined throughout the movie. And I almost wondered when, um, when Phil was going and talking to the other guys he was talking to them more in a concerned like i'm concerned for him but then you were kind of seeing it through gordon's eyes like Mm -hmm. they're talking about me they're conspiring like they're conspiring against me like i kind of to a degree phil kind of was
1: yeah he was basically like i'm gonna get hank out of here even though gordon doesn't want to i'm gonna call the shots i think he had in his head he's gonna take over this company if I were Gordon, I would be suspicious of Phil too, even mm-hmm. if I wasn't possessed by a demon.
0: Yeah, on one hand, like, but on the other, like, Phil does have a point though. Like, if Hank was a problem, hey, it's like, well,
2: yeah, but Gordon was acting weird. Yeah, like, if there's I a, was if I was an employee of someone who was acting weird, I'd be like, he's acting weird. Oh, well, for to sure. me, there's a compassionate way to
1: bring up, like, okay, take the whole you know demon possession thing out of it, but like, there's a p- compassionate way to. Talk to someone that you work with, especially someone you're as close as they are to bring up like, hey, I'm noticing some things that are concerning. Are you okay? Do you need to talk? Like let's let's find a solution together. Here's the problem. Let's find a solution together. What the right thing is to do. Hopefully that would work. Maybe. See, in and Gordon's when's the last case, time you wouldn't.
0: saw two guys do that with each other? That's the pro. That's like the main problem.
1: Right. And that's another example of the toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. In this is like n- also no man ever wants to admit that they are, don't know how to do something. They don't want to admit. Um, this is a generalization I'm making. Not all men. You know I don't need to hear it. Hashtag. But anyway. <laughs> but a lot of men are raised. I should say to like not admit when they're wrong because it's a sign of weakness or not to don't admit that you don't know something or you don't know how to do something because it's again it's a sign of weakness and someone's going to prey on you for that or take advantage of you because of that and it's just a really again toxic way to raise people um human beings and it comes out in how you treat others which you see a lot with these characters
0: but no like i think you're right like everybody's like afraid to look like oh i didn't do that or oh like, I can't do that or whatever. And it's I like, think, just admit that you're wrong or admit that you don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, Jess, you can, you can attest to this. You have young kids. Like, they're older than my daughter, you know. And they're able to make these kind of cognitive decisions when they're caught doing something they shouldn't do and they know they shouldn't. Like, how they try to get themselves out of it. You see this in children, right? It's human instinct. It's the natural instinct to say, no, I didn't do that. Or, mm-hmm. um, no, I was doing this instead even though the parent obviously knows. And it's like, it's the same dynamic.
0: So, Jess, you're a... And I don't want you to give names or whatever, like, anything that'll get you in trouble, but the nursing uh, occupation is very much, like, cutthroat and, like, eat your own. <laughs> no, like, I know this because Rose says, talks about it all the time. Like, it's a very eat-your-own kind of thing. So, you kind of have to... Like, as a nurse, you kind of have to, like, say when you don't know something and stuff. But, like... Have you had, like, I, I'm sure you've had bad experiences of, like, people really digging at you or, you know, whatever, like, as a nurse.
2: Yeah, when I first started my nursing career, like, there were nurses out there who did that. Mm-hmm. Instead of teaching you, you know, they would kind of, like, put you down or give you that look or, mm-hmm. oh, like, yeah. go behind your back and be like, she didn't really do that right. Or she didn't do something. <laughs> Instead of making it a teachable moment, like, yeah. they mm-hmm. would kind of dig at you. Yeah. That just taught me moving forward as I'm like an experienced nurse. I'm precepting people, teaching people. I share all my knowledge. Like, I don't put you down if you don't know something, but I'll teach you and I'll teach you how to do it right. And I'll give you all my knowledge. So it just has made me a better nurse. Yeah.
1: And what a wonderful you're not, world. If yeah. That was
2: the
0: outlook. <laughs> right. Yeah. Everybody.
1: You're not the kind of person, and I would hope I'm not the kind of person that. You know, you'd have to ask the people who work for me, but anyway, <laughs> that like, I'm not going to condescend to you while I do it. Like if I'm teaching you something, I'm not going to like talk to you like you're an idiot or have a tone that makes you feel inferior. Uh, and I think you'd, a lot of men do that to each other. I think a lot of women do it too, but I think it's a lot more prevalent amongst men.
0: Mm-hmm. So what other, uh, did you guys notice any other themes in this? Like besides the the one that's like really... Jess, did you notice any more themes in this movie?
2: Mental illness. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for Huge sure. one. Huge yeah, one. big time. Mm-hmm. Big
0: time. You guys want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Like right in your face,
1: the setting itself tells you, okay, there's going to be a mental illness theme. If this is a topic that's going to be throughout. And you see that in Gordon's character, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's clearly going through, one would argue, a traumatic life event. Like he creates... I mean... I don't know if having a baby is tra- really traumatic, I shouldn't say that, but, like, there's rumors amongst the men in the movie where they're like, he didn't really want the baby, he only did it for his wife, and so you could, you could see that as, like, a, a stressful life event that's
2: not bringing him joy, because I think Phil says, like, yeah, he's, it should be a joyful time, but he's not joyful. Well, he has compounding things, right? Yeah. So, he owns his own business. Yeah. He's stressed about money. He, you know, is stressed over his wife and baby. His baby is sick. He's sleep-deprived. Like,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: really, anybody under... Like, a normal person under those circumstances can break any minute. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, if... And if he had any other, like, mental illness in his life, like... Yeah, like, like if he's depressed or any other number of things, like, yeah, it can be... Psychotic break. It could
1: be a psychotic break, but as you learn in this film, and I think the whole demon the what's his name the simon demon yes um, we'll call him simon uh is kind of a metaphor for like internal demons mm-hmm. that gordon's carrying around but yeah it says that the, the demon says at the end on the tape you probably remember it, do, right? you it do you think hang it's do you think it's 100 a demon i think so i think so yeah because he says he says
2: Wake up and remember.
1: I live in the weak and wounded. That's yes, what he says. I, yeah,
2: yes. that was killer.
1: So Gordon is this weak and wounded. Um
2: Simon lives in the weak and the wounded.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <was pretty> <laughs> I sent chills up my spine. So I think I think again the the demon in the movie is like an actual demon, but like as you're watching it it's meant to be a metaphor for um his internal demons that are like making him struggle and are leading to his psychotic break. So like no
2: one else is no one is gonna believe that he was possessed by anything. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if it wasn't mental illness, like as soon as he entered the hospital, he got possessed by a demon. because we all know that, you know, these asylums, dark forces are attracted oh. to it, you know, like if any place any is ghost haunted, hunter it's right one of these places. right. Mm-hmm. So those are the two main like big themes that I see. Like is it really? like is it is it the person or is it the demon? i'll i'll tell you why i think it's a
1: demon and then you can tell me if i'm wrong so in the tapes the mary hobbs tapes this this is where the name of the film comes from session Mm -hmm. nine there's nine tapes or whatever that mark is listening to and you get little snippets here and there and you're learning mary hobbs um, was a woman who had did dissociative identity disorder which the old term for that was multiple personalities Um, which you get from having, you know, very traumatic and sustained sexual abuse as a child, right? So, that you develop these alters that people who suffer those things, not all, but some, develop alters, personalities that come out to protect the host Mm -hmm. personality uh, from these traumatic events. So, you learn Mary has princess who's like the innocent her innocence represents her innocence and then you have billy who protects her from the horrible events whatever they were and then you learn about simon who at first you think could just be a destructive altar because sometimes that happens where you have like a an altar that does dangerous and violent things Mm -hmm. almost like a a retribution kind of goal in in its mind Um, like workout katie (laughs) that's like your, <laughs> that's your so she has Simon and that's the doctors trying to get like Simon to come out this whole time and admit mm-hmm. to this crime because she was admitted to the asylum because she murdered someone named Peter. Mm-hmm. And you find out from the tapes when Simon finally comes forward, the altar or the demon, you never know. But the reason I think it's a demon because of its voice is consistent in the way they portray it as like being in Gordon's head. Uh, as well as the the violent actions that happen like uh, simon's not going to be is not going to like jump into gordon as like a someone else's alter personality you know it can't just be that person's psychosis that's not contagious you know Do you so you think to me gordon, it had like... to have been some kind of demon because they like they make it have the same voice they make it have the same it says the same things and it makes them do the same things. So to me, it's like, I guess it could be him just going psycho and he's seeing these influences of the asylum, but Gordon never goes down and listens to the tapes that we see. They don't show Mm -hmm. us that. So how would he know? How, how could his, how could he have had a psychotic break and been like, you know what? My brain is going to rationalize these horrible things I've done by saying that,
2: it's a it's the simon demon that i learned about well, well and then he kept on calling his wife mm-hmm. and trying to talk to her and like i'm mm-hmm. i'm sorry that show was creepy. in man. his mind he just thought he hit her yeah so he keeps on calling her so that's what kind of like i lean more towards like he was possessed by a demon because mm-hmm. of that part of thing. yeah movie. and they say with did
1: like i'm not an expert but i've read a lot about it just out of like curiosity I've read some books written by people with the ID um and there's a whole YouTube community behind it like or that like put their experiences out for educational purposes if you're interested go look at that but it is a thing when an alter personality comes forward and takes control of the, of the, the body the host where if they're not if the personalities aren't aware of each other and they haven't gone through a lot of therapy to become aware of each other like to them it's like your, your host personality, for instance, would like black out and not remember what you did. Mm-hmm. Um, so one could say that he developed these multiple personalities, but it's not consistent with the diagnosis from what I've learned from the things I've read because he doesn't have those past traumas. Having a kid's not enough to just develop DID. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So to me, it's a possession. Yeah, it's
0: mm-hmm. definitely a Uh, some sort of dark energy for sure if it's not a demon like there's dark energies in there affecting people so as we're getting into the second half of the movie it kind of like there's a dramatic switch where it like becomes almost like slasheristic kind of thing yeah it's
1: kind of a slow burn film yeah
0: for sure but just did the the second half of the movie kind of take you off guard after the slow burn first half and then after this, we're gonna get into our favorite scenes. And what would you
2: consider? Right. What what do you consider the second half?
0: So the second half to me, well, it's not necessarily a half. It's more of like There's
1: probably like th- three or three acts to the film.
0: Yeah, the Correct. third act I would yeah. say is when uh, um what's his name the main character
1: Gordon. Yeah,
0: so when he basically goes berserk and he's fucking killing everybody. Well.
1: I would say it probably starts when you start seeing people Hank. dying and mm-hmm. or being like mutilated, whatever, when you start seeing people being hurt and you're not sure if it's filler, Gordon or they're mm-hmm. trying to make it seem like you don't know who yeah. it is. Yeah. Um,
2: I think it's kind of starts there. And then the whole rest is like chaos. Mm-hmm. I feel like, okay. So when, when, um, oh gosh, what's the kid's name? Jeff. Jeff. When Jeff s- sees Hank
0: yeah that was weird so
2: this is like the third half right Mm -hmm. okay jeff sees hank and he's like okay i see him i'm going to get everybody else and then i feel like that's when all the stuff happened um and that's when it started getting interesting for me because Mm -hmm. it wasn't just story it was like, okay, scary stuff is happening now.
1: Well, and you're getting answers now.
2: Yeah, because you know something happens to Hank. There's either an intruder oh, or dude. a squatter, and he's stealing all the money and the pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Or it's a spirit. Let's talk <laughs> about the pick. The pick is foreshadowing. I was like, okay, something's going to happen with Hank in this pick, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you could. there was a lot of foreshadowing in this movie, mm-hmm. which, yeah. and when I was writing my notes, and I was like, oh, shit, there's a pick. <laughs> Yeah, and whenever there's a coin, you know Hank has <laughs> wandered coin, there. You know? Yeah. But then I'm like, okay, who who hid all this? Was there a corrupt doctor or a corrupt nurse like hiding all of the valuables of these people? Because there was all tags and stuff on the rings. Like it was valuable. And then you see the pick and you're like, Oh, I bet it was a doctor yeah bad duck mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. sorry that was off topic
0: it, that's, that's okay. <laughs> in that scene like um before we go into like our favorite scenes and stuff like that scene where they the camera kind of pulls back and you notice that it's like the other side of the more like the uh what is that called like where they fucking it's the, the morgue cremating. The, yeah. yeah the crematory oh, or whatever that shit is so fucking messed up oh
1: yeah anyway. You and
2: Brian were having a major reaction to that. I was yeah, like, we were yeah. like, "Ooh!" <laughs> but yeah, so they're going to find Hank, and they all split up, and the breakers, you know, are going crazy, and the generator outside, like, mm-hmm. dies because you, you know, the I'm thinking the evil spirit sucking all the juices out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and you know, you know, Jeff is scared of the dark, so you know something's going to happen. So that's scary mm-hmm. and you're looking for Hank and Hank is like not acting right and he has glasses on and you know something's happened. Yeah,
1: the final act is like definitely what I was
2: waiting for though. Like it's they
1: I think they did a good job of creating some suspense and some questions and mm-hmm. build up. Um I did appreciate the slow burn of this one. You know, I'm not usually a fan of that. Um but I think that it was well done in this in this movie for sure. What about you, Trav?
0: So, do you guys want to talk about some of your favorite scenes? Yeah. Like in the film,
1: I'll let our guest of honor go
0: first. Yeah, go ahead. Like, what was what were like some of the spookiest scenes in the film to you?
2: Okay, so when when Hank is um, when they find him <laughs> standing at the window <laughs> yeah. and he's staring out uh. with the glasses on. And I'll, I'll tell you what my comment was in my notes. Did someone do a lobotomy on him? Question mark. <laughs> you were right. <laughs> they did.
0: Yeah, he's he, like. I said he like... did
2: find the tool in the wall. He's
0: like, hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> and
2: he's wearing sunglasses.
0: <laughs>
2: oh. What yeah. are you doing here? Yeah, when he says, yeah. what are you doing here? You're like, okay, he knows the person. Oh. hmm Oh, and rough. then another favorite scene was when Jeff was in the basement and the lights start going out. Like that scene was. I can relate to that so hard because you know, like when I'm walking around my house and I'm turning the lights <laughs> off at night, I'm running up those stairs. Yeah, because there's, there's someone behind, behind you. me. <laughs> someone's behind me chasing me, right? <laughs> so I can totally relate to. I'm in a basement that I don't know i'm scared of the dark and these lights are going out and he legit like i feel like that's when he was acting very well that the actor because he he really truly showed fear <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah i loved
1: how they did that with the lights i think it's like a thing that happens a lot like when you see the lights slowly going out and they're approaching him and he's running away like no no he's like trying to es- escape the darkness mm-hmm. um i thought that was cool the way it was shot too just mm-hmm. like visually Do you want to go next, Jeff, or do you want me to? Yeah, I'll go
0: next. So my favorite scene in this movie, and I think it still holds up, and I think it's one of the scariest scenes, like um, maybe of all time to me. Like in my personal opinion, it's when Hank goes and gets like all the coins and stuff. And like just the subtleness of it. So he starts noticing stuff or like feeling stuff because he has those earplugs in.
1: Oh, yeah. He's got his uh, Walkman, uh, the old, old, on the old days we had Walkman. But, yeah, he's blasting music in his earbuds.
0: (laughs) And I relate to this because I'm always, like, cognizant of this because I work a lot with, like, earbuds in and stuff. And, like, I'll walk out to my car with earbuds on or whatever. And I'm, like, people should not be doing that because you're not aware of, like, what's going on. Like, your senses are all dulled. Like the Mm -hmm. rest of your senses are dulled.
1: Yeah. Like when you have to turn the volume down, if you're like lost in the car and you're trying to find where you're going.
0: (laughs) So you still like feel those noises. So I, I thought that that was a really, really effective scare of him, like sort of knowing that something else was down there. And then you see, it's just a subtle scare, but you see that like that, person just like step out a little bit yeah and that's all you need to see you really. see the, their
1: form and the, but it's not clear who it is yeah think about like
0: yeah. like and that didn't look like what's his fuck uh the main character that was like a, a I'd an to, apparition dude
1: i'd have to watch it again it was definitely a silhouette of someone
0: it looked naked or something
1: it, yeah it looked very smooth yeah which was weird yeah. um you didn't see like cl- the shape of clothing on it, mm-hmm. almost like an alien or Or a one of those dead people. Yeah, or like, like a dead person. Burnt. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I but, think I'd have to watch it again to see if they had any of that detail in or not. And
0: think about if they showed like some shitty little like white colored. You know, ghost or whatever, like attacking them at the end of that scene. Like, it would just suck the life out of that scene. Yeah. Like, so, you know, it'd just be like terrible because that's all you need to see, you know?
2: Well, and at the time, you're like, okay, who is it though? Mm-hmm. Is it someone squatting there? Is it an old patient because they. Never left, they don't have a home, so they keep on going back there. Is it one of these teenagers who are vandalizing things? You know, is it Gordon because we know something's up with him? Mm-hmm. Like, um, or is it someone who Hank is pissed off? Mm-hmm. Because let's be honest, he like just doesn't give a fuck so, oh yeah. oh yeah, yeah. And that's what I didn't get.
1: Well, I guess I get it now. Phil lied, like, he's on the phone with the girlfriend, ex girlfriend.
2: I feel like Hank had everything packed up in his car like he was going somewhere, though. Because I feel like he went there to get all the valuables and leave and go gamble with it. Yeah. yeah.
1: All right. You want to hear my favorite? Yeah, Yeah. go ahead. Um, So my favorite is probably the most heartbreaking scene. And that's the scene where Gordon, he has killed everyone. And he is holding a broken phone up to his ear. Oh, yeah. It's like the phone is demolished. It's very clear that it's not an operating phone, but to him in his mental state, he's talking to his wife, begging to come home. He's lonely here. I just want to see my baby. He's killed his wife, dog and baby. Mm-hmm. Like you you already know this by now. Mm-hmm. Um and just to hear him and the genuine like sorrow and suffering in his voice is like I was like that scene shook me a little bit. I was really a, messed mm-hmm. up by that but yeah i would say that's probably the best scene mm-hmm. to me
0: so it wasn't
1: I, the scariest but it was just really sad
0: yeah no for sure it, i do feel like so some of the parts in this movie the music is like very weird but still works oddly like when they play that little like asian sounding thing it, that It's, like, so strange, but it works. But the the person, the people that composed this score, or, like, some of the music and There's stuff... There's some very creepy
1: piano was, in uh, this, for yeah, sure. Yeah,
0: very well done. Was the climax Golden Twins. I feel like they did a really good job, though, like, doing some of these scenes. Like, it's very, very subtle. It's not overbearing. Like, you could easily... If someone didn't know what they were doing, they could easily, like, overscore this movie. Just mm-hmm. because it's, like... It's, like, so set and, like, wide open in this area that they're filming at. And you could really, like, overdo it with the, da, da, you know, just, like, creepy score, you know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah.
2: One of the other scenes that I really liked was when um, Gordon is standing by the wall of all his pictures, all his family's Mm -hmm. pictures. And there's kind of like blood trickling down and stuff. So you're like, where did all this blood come from? But he's like looking at it and he's so confused. Like, why are they up there? And then Phil comes in and they're just like looking at each other and you know something's going to happen. You just don't know what yet. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that moment was really good for the movie too. So (laughs) it makes no sense to me.
1: That they have been working here for a week. Mm-hmm. He, you, you learn that he killed his wife pretty much first day of being in the asylum. First day after he gets home, he's got flowers. He goes in to the house, um, tries to you know make a little loving move on his wife, and she's into it. And then an accident happens, and po- boiling pasta water spills on his leg, burns him up, and you find out that he has snapped in that moment killed his wife, killed his dog, killed his baby. This happened day one of the project. And it's like the last, like, it's like, I don't know, probably five or six days. I don't I forget the exact day when all the murder went down, but so many days have passed. And it just seemed really unrealistic to me that w- this is a new mom with her husband not at home really to help no nanny, no help, and that no one in her network of, in her like support system or community would have like stopped by and been like trying to get a hold of her to see how she's doing. Like, like as a new mom, like people were texting me or calling me every day. They were coming by the house with food or to see the baby. And it just seems really strange to me that no one would have tried to contact the wife at any point. And noticed that she wasn't responding, and been like, "There's something fishy going on here."
0: Well, I,
2: they didn't really show that part of the
0: no, story, I, though. I, I but Gordon it's assumed if
1: Gordon is still working, then no cops have come to, you know, inquire about her death. So they, like, no one else knows.
0: Gordon could have lied, though. Also, like the like neighbors, somebody... the
1: neighbors wouldn't have noticed that she didn't, hasn't been coming out of the house. The dog hasn't come out to go to the bathroom, and she hasn't been out gardening like she does okay. every day.
0: I, I will say this, and I think this kind of disproves this theory. Was it's that
1: not a theory, it's just an observation. Well, observation.
0: <laughs> so K- Casey Anthony, I've been listening to that series on True Crime Garage. The child was missing for thirty one days before anybody like realized something was up.
1: That's weird. That's weird to me yeah, too. It's
0: strange. But it's, like, not everybody's circle is, like, so, and I don't want to say pushy, but, like, so, like, um, like, oh, let me h- come and help you kind of thing. Well, we even, a really... fo- even
1: a, like, a phone call and you would notice if it's weird that, like, mm-hmm. she's she's alone in her house with her baby all the time. Mm-hmm. You're telling me she doesn't ha- talk to someone on the phone for some support every now and again? Mm-hmm. And that that person wouldn't be, like, hey, she's not been answering for three, four, five days now. Maybe something's wrong. Mm-hmm. No one's seen her. Like. To me, that doesn't make sense. Right. And maybe it's just because, like, with my support system, like, Jess, if you guys were texting or calling me for two days, three days, four days straight, and I didn't answer.
0: Well, think about it. There are a lot like, of moms out you, there.
2: Yeah, wouldn't you be like, hmm, let me go investigate. Yeah, but so they were from a different country. i Irelanders, England, <laughs> yeah. somewhere over there. So, and who knows when they came over here like maybe well, they don't have a, a lot time. of family or friends no he's been working here with but, but that, that wasn't part time. that wasn't part of the movie or the story though Think it, about it gordon's though. story
0: like yeah. you're lucky to have sisters who like care and love and stuff there are a lot of women out there that probably don't that probably don't have that kind of you can't of tell me system. a nosy
2: neighbor hadn't like didn't notice that literally there's been absolutely no activity at that house and that little fucking yappy dog wasn't yapping right. anymore next yeah door. <laughs> yeah and no baby screaming like you yeah. can hear baby screaming
3: yeah
1: yeah so yeah. to me it's unrealistic i think that i wish they would have added a little something to make that make sense for me but other than that i think like pretty good little story i liked
0: it isn't it funny like the stuff that kate gets mm-hmm. caught up on
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> that and the fact they weren't working <laughs> yeah <laughs> Can we talk about the sessions that Mike was listening to Yeah, Yeah, and how effing creepy the voice was? So
0: this is something that we were debating last night. Would you listen to those if you like came across the the? Oh
2: yeah, I would. I'd be super like, I would be super like, I want to find out what's on these tapes. I want to hear this. (laughs) But as soon as I heard the creepy ass Billy, was it Billy? um oh, dude. i don't know hold on i have all their little names right i'll down tell you somewhere. their names
0: princess and billy princess.
2: Princess. Yes, yes, is billy the... so mm-hmm. princess is like okay i can handle princess's voice <laughs> like it sounds like a little girl's voice but when billy started talking i was like this is supposed to be like a woman talking and this is this voice is creepy as hell i think so, did, i think you could, a woman could make that voice for sure
0: yeah. So Billy it's was. It's Simon that. Yeah. I don't. Simon, Simon was. was voice. Oh gosh. Billy was Ugh. the little boy. Like yeah. He was just like,
2: Simon gave me creeps. Oh dude.
0: Yeah.
2: Hello Gordon. <laughs> but yeah, we were arguing about because Kate says that.
0: Kate said Let that me she speak would not. Myself.
2: Lo- <laughs> Thank
1: you very much.
0: She said she has ethics. I was like, wow.
1: No, ethically, I would have a hard time getting in these people who had a tragic end to their lives. Like she's one of the people who died there. Hmm tragic end to their lives, horribly mistreated i would have trouble if i were working in this establishment like my job isn't to pull out the
2: records and file them or understand oh them. no like yeah no. i wouldn't do that. i wouldn't do that but if not the tapes the were like in front of me and someone's like listen to these i'd be like okay yeah
0: i would See, take it out to the lunch area <laughs> you know, I do. yeah tra- yeah
1: travis like knowing you broke into an asylum like yeah. you i i'm not surprised you would do that oh yeah but, and i'm not saying anyone's you know worse than me because i wouldn't do it just personally like i would have a hard time doing that and feeling okay about myself like i just couldn't do it but like that's not to say i'm not interested and fascinated by it i think mm-hmm. it is fascinating people with this um mental illness in particular this the did because um there are a lot of people who have it who have written books like i said i I've, I've watched some youtube videos i am fascinated by it. i think it is a fascinating like kind of Abnormal psychology is not the right word for it anymore, but like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just, it's this weird thing that the human brain can do. Well, maybe and it's, it's kind not of, extreme. A, it's, it's kind of amazing that the that a human brain can help, A person protect itself that way. I think it's Mm -hmm. really fascinating. And so, like, will I read books by people who have put their stories out there and they want it out there? Yeah, 100%. But will I dig through records and invade these people's privacy who are dead and can't even speak for themselves
2: or protect themselves? No, I wouldn't. I almost wondered if um, Mike had a weird fascination with it because of his dad. Oh, yeah, he did. Or, like, I almost wondered, too, when he first got – because it said evidence box – Mm-hmm. When he opened it, and I was like, why in the hell is an evidence box in this old died building? Yeah. And so that I almost wondered, okay, is he getting into this because um, his dad has asked him to listen to these records? Or like, why? What's, why is he listening to it? I think he it?
1: doesn't want to fucking work. He, do- he thinks he's better <laughs> than that job. And so he was like poking around mm-hmm. originally for, because the... Power wasn't working, right? Something mm. like that. And so you're led to think maybe the demon kind of did that to lead him to. Like maybe he was drawn to it in some lead, way. To lead him to the tapes to open the box, open Pandora's box, or like whatever, and release the chaos, whatever you maybe want to Maybe that think, let but
2: the demon down. Mm-hmm.
0: No,
1: because the demon was talking to Gordon in the first scene. <laughs> like yeah. <whatever>. You're right.
0: <laughs> they do make a point, though, of like, remember the light shows him where the box is? Yeah. And then when he cuts it, like, I think Gordon cuts himself right yes. and yeah the other guy like does dust to dust
2: yeah. in his eyes yeah. that was a lot of foreshadowing in those yeah yes. mm-hmm.
0: so, so that was interesting
1: i think mike just was fucking lazy and bored and he didn't want to do it um he has he doesn't give a shit about these guys he's working with at all mm-hmm. um because if he did he'd be working and trying to meet the deadline oh i would if he cared about gordon that's what he would be doing
0: i would call the guys down there and been like dude you gotta listen to this shit like, that would, that would have been my move. I wouldn't have been down there like a creep listening to it by myself. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? Yeah, he was really getting into it. And I think that another foreshadowing moment of like, and we brought it up earlier was like the way that he acts towards Jeff. Cause I think he was like, part of him was serious. Part of him was joking when he was holding up that fucking like, uh, pick to his like eye. Oh, yeah. And talking about like, how to do a lobotomy. He's like, uh, you're getting a little weird, dude. Yeah. And you find <laughs> out Gordon
1: was listening about how to do the yeah. a lobotomy cause he doesn't to Hank. Yeah. You know?
2: I I thought that they put that part into the movie because maybe the people who were watching the movie wouldn't know what a lobotomy was necessarily if they hadn't ever, like, watched any movies or shows or documentaries
1: about that. I think they also needed to make make it make sense how Gordon would know how to do a lobotomy.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So, yeah. So do we want to get final thoughts on the movie? Uh, We will start with our guest of honor, Jess.
2: Okay. I do want to say the demonic voice Mm -hmm. says, they let me do it. They always do. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was creepy as hell. He like had a weak moment and the demon got in there and he let him do it. And that demon just like took over. Right. I
1: guess it's... Did they let him, or did
2: they just not have the strength, or will, or will to fight back? Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, sat you see, you see possessions like movies about possession all the time, and like the person, I mean, the demon takes over the body, right?
0: I mean, look at The Shining, like with uh, um, uh, Jack's character, Jack Torrance. He's yeah, so like an hotel- alcoholic. Yeah, he hit ho- his son. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The hotel kind of possesses him, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, gets him with booze and like kind of corrupts them mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm, for sure mm-hmm.
2: so when i when the movie finished i kind of jotted a few things down um just like my thoughts afterwards and how it ended um did someone get into gordon at first meeting like the first meeting they had did did the demon like enter his body and mm-hmm. then you know that that night then he you know killed his wife um did gordon have multiple personalities the scariest thing in this world are people not ghosts Mm -hmm. um what people are capable of is scary did he just um compartmentalize to cope Mm -hmm. with his killing um or was he possessed and those were like my ending thoughts like still after the movie ended i was like which one is it you know Ooh, did gordon kill his
0: wife and then that that into, split his yeah, yeah
2: um, into altars ooh. so those were all my thoughts I don't Ending. think so <laughs> I don't think so but I mean but you can't be sure they they want right? you to not be sure but yeah. that would sure. be even more yeah.
0: heartbreaking <laughs> that'd be like heartbreaking as fuck
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah so what did you give it out of five Jess
2: I was entertained by it and I like the suspenseful um movies so I would probably give it a four I was entertained mm-hmm. by it, and I thought that there were there was scary parts, suspenseful parts, parts that kind of made you like wonder, okay, what's going on? It kept you hanging, you know. I liked it. Kate, yeah. Um, I think I'd give this, yeah,
1: probably. I agree, probably four out of five, three and a half territory, like between three, three and a half and four. I was entertained the whole time, just like Jess. I appreciate any movie, and particularly horror movies that have some themes that you can dig into when you when we're talking about it there are some that just don't have it like some of those old you know cheesy sleazy slashers that you introduce like there's not much in in the way of themes to like kind of dig into and and talk about and you know relate it to life and society now that kind of thing so I appreciate a movie that can do that and that has done it in a pretty good way a pretty skillful way and I think this one does that um so that's my rating
0: I agree. I want to go four out of five. Uh, this is like one of the newest, new, one of my newest, like favorite, and newest. I say it's like twenty years old, but like one of the best, like ghosty movies, haunting. You know, in, in that kind of like a kind of like a reimagining of The Shining kind of thing. But I really, really enjoy this movie, and like from the first time I saw it to now, even like there are parts in this movie that really creep me out. Like it's up there, kind of with like. It's kind of got, like, a similar creep factor to me than, like, Blair Witch Project and those type of movies that are just, like, creepy vibes about it.
1: Yeah. What'd you say? Like, all, like, early 2000s horror films yeah. kind of have a similar, like, it, you know when they came out because of just the way they're shot and the yeah. way they're lit and the way the the way they edit, they're edited all is kind of very similar.
0: Yeah. It's very, early, very, very early 2000s. But, yeah, I'm going to give that a four out of five. I do not have a reading recommendation this week. So just read your satanic Bibles and <laughs> Alistair Crowley before you go to bed. Um, as always, um, Jess, thank you for joining us. This has been an awesome episode. Um, Producer Kate, as always. Uh-huh. Um, as always, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at my friends and at Twitter at HorrifyingMF. Um, have a week.
1: See ya. Bye. <laughs>
3: friends.